Well, it's a new episode of the Table Church Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, Megan, before we dive into our rather mm, serious, heavy, but important topic, got anything fun that you're doing in life? Uh, Absolutely. I would say that today's topic is a hot topic. Yeah. Is that a better descriptor than what I used? What did I even say? Serious and heavy? You said serious and heavy. I would say today's topic is hot. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. You you got on the train with me now. talking about hell. We are talking about hell. But before we talk about hell, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've had, like, we've both had some... uh, Pick me up before I am smashed to the ground. Before you (laughs) go-go. With with Um, a discussion about hell. (laughs) Uh, So if I was going to say a bright spot of my week, it was... um, I was sad to miss out on a vacation that my entire family but me took. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like they had a really great time. But I stayed here because they planned that kind of at the last minute. And I was preaching on Sunday mm-hmm. and um, didn't want to throw a wrench into all of that. Plus, it was it was good for me to get some time by myself mm-hmm. due to the COVID never being alone for yeah. over a year. That sounds like an ideal vacation. I know. I think maybe you want to. The only out. thing that was more, that would have made it more ideal is if I could somehow get that plus the week away with my family doing fun things. Yeah. But I would also not want to give up on that. So anyway, I had a lot of time by myself this weekend mm-hmm. and that was really great. Spent a lot of time with my dogs, just investing in them. Yeah. I got a, pic- a picture <laughs> from Megan that she texted me of some ice cream cones that you got for your dogs. Yeah. Dog like, ice cream cones. <laughs> ice cream cones. It was like in a little bag. Yeah, because they're these ice cream cones are a real jackpot for them. They only get them a couple times a year. Mm. They're from Bone Up a Treat. <laughs> but also, shout out to Snookies and the Pup Cone, which oh. is a really big summer highlight. Nice. For all dogs of Des Moines. So what's a pup cone? Could I eat one? You could eat one, yes. It is a teeny tiny oh, ice cream cone. Okay. <laughs> it's like a little tiny, uh, you know, like what cone. Are we, we talking three inches tall? No, it's smaller than that. Really? It's probably like an inch and a half or something. Like that. It's oh, wow. tiny. It's a little tiny ice cream cone with a little tiny bit of ice cream in it. <laughs> <laughs> you can just oh. ask for pup cones right. when you go get your ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's Actually, like, so that's one like, time. That's like the the Maltese size. Yeah. Like a Great Dane's not going to be satisfied with that. I mean, it's still a nice little treat. <laughs> but I mean, one time actually Dallas got featured on Snooki's social media. No kidding. Eating a pup cone. Hmm. Yeah. Well, how about that? Because we all get our so 15 cute. minutes of fame. Yeah. That's right. All right. Um, how about you? <laughs> so I've been watching Loki. I'm pretty into it. I um, I don't know. I just like all the Marvel stuff. And when they kind of try to get a little trippy, I just think that's pretty fun too. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what this is. Plus, and you're like looking for all the connections with all the layers of the world. Yeah, trying to figure things. out what's going on. Also, I really like uh, Owen Wilson. I always have. <laughs> He's not that Owen Wilson y in this one, though. He's not like yeah. Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson. No, but the fact that it brings just a little sprinkle of that a little, in like, to the quirkiness. MCU yeah, is, yeah. Uh, is pretty awesome to me. I also yes. really like uh, uh, Tom Middleson, I think is his name, the guy Hiddleston. who plays Loki. Hiddleston, yeah. who plays Loki. I think he's fun. Yeah. I just, yes. I've always liked the Loki character. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a trickster. Yeah. I which mean, is a, you know, an ancient story form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Across um, cultures around the world. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's some issues with it that I have, like like Loki was responsible for a lot of people dying, I assume, in the first Avengers movie. Uh-huh. Like He's been responsible of, for a lot of horrible things. The Battle of New York. But now I'm supposed to kind of look at him as like and a it's hero. it's kind of cute that he loves himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, he's done some really awful things, and yet now we're kind of trying to like see him as the protagonist here. Yeah. Um, which They're playing with that because they have, to, they have like the multiple dimensions of mm-hmm. like reality or whatever it is. What do they call it? But I mean... The, it's still the him. Timelines. Yeah, but the yeah. but like this Loki that we're watching in this film is the Loki that like yeah, tried to take over him. New York. Yeah. And so, I mean, we're kind of having to airbrush that out a little bit, which is weird. But uh, I mean, this is how like all of the old literature goes, like the Nordic mm-hmm. mythology. Like it's always like 
he's terrible, but then he does something that redeems himself for a bit. Okay. And then you never can trust him. Like mm-hmm. he'll always do something new, but yeah. you're like, oh goodness. Well, he keeps us on our toes. That's for sure. Yeah. You um, know who I might say, uh, the, the tricks, the trickster in like the, the Christian, like, you know, mythology would be if it was mythology. Uh, who? The devil. Oh, Okay. I'm making a really I thought you were gonna be more subtle segue than that. <laughs> um, I mean, I was gonna go with maybe Jacob. Oh my goodness! Isn't that actually what his name means? <laughs> the like taker, de- the deceiver, deceiver, or something like that. Yeah, like the wait. Is it? I thought it was like Jacob, supplanter. Jacob tricks it, Esau, something like that. Whose name means supplanter? That's John. No, James. Whatever. Mm, I don't know. Jacob but means anyway. like grabber, taker. Yeah, it's grabber because he was grabbing yeah. his brother's heel. As okay, he was whatever. Born. Listen, don't write us mail. I would have gone with believe Jacob. That, I don't believe that Christian theology is a myth. Jacob is the Loki of the Bible. I'm still yeah, on that. There. Okay. <laughs> but also <laughs> Satan, um, which is a wonderful segue into The father our, of lies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a wonderful segue into our... Uh, our question that we have today, we remember yes. you guys might remember we asked asked y'all to send in questions. Well, we got a the few questions. Mailbag. Yeah, and some of them were doozies. And so I would say that eighty eight percent of them were absolute doozies. And then there are some where it's like, whoa, well that's cute. <laughs> That'd be easy to answer. Yeah. Uh so this one is uh on hell. What do you think of hell? That was the question, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the whole question. What do you think about hell? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to try to tweak the question just a little bit and say, what are some ways to think about hell? <laughs> yeah. Like, like in, like I said it before this, I was like, so if the question is, what do you think about hell or what do you think it was, it was, what do you think about hell? Mm-hmm. That was a question. And it's, here's how to think about hell. Yeah. I think that's a better way to look at sure. it. Sure. And in the midst of the discussion, yeah. I'm sure that what, at least what I think about hell will probably come out. Um, I don't want to completely dodge the question, but I also think it's probably more helpful to present some, some different views. Also, I think you probably hold that view with a sense of like, this is a topic that we're not entirely, yeah. nobody can be like, I'm confident. I know exactly how God works this out. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've got room for um, <laughs> a, a range of views on hell mm-hmm. in my belief system. And there is a range of views and in church we, history. Can we make a small aside to talk about like how this is a good this is a good test case for how to think about all Christian theology. Like a lot of things that we ask about God tend to make people all like hot under the collar and we freak out or whatever. But um, if you think about orthodoxy as like a sandbox where there's like these solid foundational things that hold it together that cannot be moved and then everything else in the sandbox can get played with and messed around with and you can kind of like discover new things Mm -hmm. uh research you know you can like spend your lifetime playing in the sandbox without ever feeling afraid of like falling off the face of the map to mix my metaphors because Mm -hmm. you have this really solid boundary around you called orthodoxy like what we know is true about god that we agree like if you're a christian Across time, no matter what else you believed or like practice, these are the things that we all agree on. Mm-hmm. That's orthodoxy. And so if you think of that as like the boundaries around your sandbox, then you can just get in the sandbox and play for a lifetime and yep. know you're safe. Orthodoxy is a big tent. Yes. And so we can we kind of be generous towards people that don't quite align with everything. So many metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I think there is a range of views on hell. And so I'm going to present three main ones, or we're going to present three main ones today. Um, and and I just want to say that I am happy to be in fellowship with any one of these, like with people who hold any one of these three views. Mm-hmm. Um, because? Because it's a big tent. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But hey. basically, it's just that I think like one thing that we hear from people all the time is um, they maybe grew up or came from a church culture as an adult that really had some solid views on what's true and what isn't. And it was mm-hmm. much more like a sense of like, this is just the a black and white way. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that maybe surprises them a bit about like how we preach or talk on the podcast or just talk in regular life is that we often 
don't talk exactly like that sure. <laughs> about things. So this is just a good example of that where um, if you're if you're able to understand like Orthodox Christianity and over time how that has been lived out, you know, you can you can feel a little less panicky about being at the same table with people who maybe interpret things to be completely mm-hmm. new to you, but also are still within the tent. Yeah. 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 There's things that are more determined and there's things that are less determined in our doctrine. And, you know, we might even refer to some things as dogma. Like that's mm-hmm. the stuff that we don't go or we don't, you know, give on. Jesus is fully God and fully man, that sort of thing. Uh, the Trinity, and then there's mm-hmm. doctrine, and that's the stuff that we can argue about. But at the end of the day, we can maybe remain we can remain under the tent together mm-hmm. as long as we agree on the dogma. Anyway, we we've I think exhausted that. Yes. Um, so let's talk about the three views. The first one is eternal conscious torment. This is the one that probably most people think of when they hear about hell. This mm-hmm. is the one that's been held by most Christians throughout history, um, and this is the view that uh, there is a literal place of eternal conscious torment that people, the damned, are going to go there mm-hmm. and. Um, they're going to be there forever and it's yeah. not going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, side note, whenever I see eternal conscious torment and it'll often be called ECT, mm-hmm. it makes me think of ectoplasma. Okay. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Just a side note. Ectoplasma. Like, I, that's from uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what it's called? Every time I see ECT, I think of this like green goo. Mm-hmm. That's what they <laughs> called it, huh? All right. Okay, Ec- whatever, ectoplasma. Whatever, whatever. Okay. So, bring in a little levity. Yeah, thank you. I got there eventually. <laughs> uh, so, like, where do we go for this? I mean, there's all sorts of places that people would, would point to, of course, but some some big ones would be like the parable of, of Lazarus, right? The rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells this parable about a rich man who was basically a jerk. And then he died, and uh, the guy he was a jerk to ends up in heaven, but he's in, well, it's in Hades, it yeah. says. Um, and he basically begs for just a drop of water, and uh, he doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's, he's in Hades. He's tormented. Yeah. Um, and Jesus says, look, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Like, they're just, these people are there forever. You know, they're never going to be convinced mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, I would read the whole parable, but I just don't think we want to take the time to do that. Most people can look it up. It's in, uh, it's in Luke 16. It's in Luke 16. And so that's a, a pretty common place where it kind of seems to suggest this eternality of torment. Mm-hmm. Also Mark 9, 47 to 49, it says, uh, Jesus says, if your eye is causing you to sin, throw it away. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not extinguished. Okay, so um, that sounds pretty eternal as well. Mm-hmm. There you have it. You have the word hell, people being thrown into it, where the worm does not die and the fire is not extinguished. Eternal conscious torment. Matthew twenty five forty six, 46, uh, the parable of sheep and the goats. What happens to the goats? It says these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, so there you have it. Um, and so for many, that's kind of an open and shut case. Um, but I will also say there's a range of, of views mm-hmm. within the eternal conscious torment camp. Um, and so I would kind of differentiate between the hard line eternal conscious torment, which is basically if you've never heard the name of Jesus, never accepted the gospel, you're going to hell forever. Mm-hmm. That's like that would be the, the hard line. Do you know where you would go if you died today? Mm-hmm. Question. And people who is positioned. even, and in this view, people who maybe even never had the chance to hear the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. like they're going to hell. Yeah. If you died today, where would you go? Or if those people don't hear the name of Jesus, they'll have no chance. Mm-hmm. And when they die, they'll go to hell. Right. Yes. So that obviously increases the need for evangelism, right? Yeah. If mm-hmm. that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the only eternal conscious torment view. Uh, there's also kind of on the other side of the spectrum, I might... I like to call it the freely chosen misery view. <laughs> I like how you're at the FCM. FCM. Which is yeah. different than the MCU, which <laughs> we've we already talked, talked about, about earlier. That. Yeah. Yeah. The FCM, uh, freely chosen misery. This is, you see this in C.S. Lewis, I think. You see it in Dallas Willard. 
you see it a lot of places. So if you've ever read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, it's a really wonderful book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the premise of the book is like these people take a bus ride from hell to heaven mm-hmm. and they get off the bus and everybody hates it in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the main character has all these conversations and experiences in heaven. And, and over time, he gets acclimated to heaven. Like, what is it? Like the grass is really sharp on their, mm-hmm. on their feet and the sun yeah. is really bright and everything's really dense and hard. And so the point is that you got to get acclimated to heaven before you're actually going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the book, I think everybody except for the main character gets back on the bus and goes yep. back to hell. Like they mm-hmm. freely choose it, yep. right? And so his point is just that um, <laughs> like we are prideful, sinful individuals. <laughs> and to be near God, a holy God, you know, who is perfectly good and who, who is in every way superior to you. Well, that's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. That's going to be hard for a prideful, sinful person. <laughs> and maybe not everybody wants that, you know? This always this view, like reading The Great Divorce, is a really good, you know, allegory for that. Um, that the idea of, like, um, a, you know, a family from Nebraska taking a trip to Italy... And then mm-hmm. getting there and realizing they hate everything about Europe. Right. <laughs> so like... Nebraska would be hell in this parable? <laughs> Let's face it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't write us letters. I love Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, See, not the, as the much nature as... of the podcast is yeah. very conversational in tone. And sometimes <laughs> we don't get a chance to think through everything we say before we say it. <laughs> but you that's get also the part of, that's also part of the charm. Everybody, right? everybody thinks it would be so amazing to go to Rome, right? Mm-hmm. Except that when you actually go to Rome, you have to deal with Rome on its terms, mm-hmm. not on like your idea of what it was like for Rick Steves. Yeah. You know, to you just... through it. And so you can't just do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, like there's it's the traffic is nuts. Mm-hmm. You got to walk all over the place. You practically get run over. The food isn't all Pizza Hut. <laughs> um, everything's dirty, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's just this idea of like we have this ideal of what we think Rome would be. But no doubt when you get there, you might be a person who's like, I don't love this. Yeah. 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 So there may, according to this view, there may very well be people who frankly prefer not to be near God because mm-hmm. they are so inwardly bent upon themselves. Yep. They're so selfish. They're so self-centered. They're, and they're unwilling to live outside of themselves. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to be required to be in the proximity of the literal, pro- I don't know what the word would be, but you know, to be yeah. in heaven, in God's domain. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially God gives them what they want. Yeah. And you can see that like in, when people are talking about the, uh, like a Christian who has accepted God on their terms for like the fire insurance, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, for the possible goodies that we right. get from God. Um, but has struggles with even understanding God on the level of, um, who he really is and what that means for right. us. Um, you can see that, um, where people get this from just this idea that if we're alive eternally, however you, uh, receive God now is probably how you will later. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of a logical extension of what you see in Romans one, when it's talking about God's wrath and judgment, it says that God gave them over to the desires of their heart. Mm -hmm. Essentially. Okay. You, you want, you, you want to live for yourselves. Fine. See what happens. And that's God's judgment. It's the natural consequences of living a sinful life. Like our son Hudson loves hot dogs. And he's like, I just want a day where I like eat hot dogs. Right. You should give him over okay. the desires of his heart. Go ahead and, and try that out. Just happens. eat hot dogs today. <laughs> <laughs> and and he will experience wrath. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, there's some pretty significant thinkers that, that would as- ascribe to this. Dallas Willard and, and C.S. Lewis, and I th- want to save an N.T. Wright. Um, so... I see you have some you have some Dallas Willard quotes here. Why don't we come I back do. to that? Do you want to talk? Do you want to? Do you want to? Get to the three views. I was gonna say, yeah. And then we go ahead. Come back. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that's eternal conscious storm. Conscious storm. Let's let them dance together. Okay. And as you've seen, uh, there's a range of views even within that one. Um. And I'll just I'll be honest. I I've often I've long been sympathetic to that what we just described the freely chosen misery, um. As as C.S. Lewis has described, I just have found it really, um. Mm-hmm. I don't know compelling i guess it makes a lot of sense to me you know that god wouldn't force himself on people that Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Didn't want him. But as you'll find out in a little bit, I think there's good reasons to give these other views. Do you want to talk about Gehenna quick? Yeah, I skipped that. So one of the problems with eternal so conscious like in those torment. verses that you were talking about before, it mentions hell. Yeah. So for example, when Jesus says it's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be thrown into hell. So every time or almost every time that hell is brought up in the gospels, it, the Greek word is Gehenna, which um, I think a lot of people know. It was an actual place outside of Jerusalem. Google it was, like Ray Vanderlaan. It was like a Gehenna. dump. It's like a trash heap outside of Jerusalem. And there's a lot there's a lot of stories about some really nasty things that went down there over the centuries, child sacrifice and people being killed and um but by Jesus's day apparently it was just a trash heap and um I'm, frankly it was probably always burning. Like mm-hmm. they were probably always burning the trash up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you see the word hell in the gospels <laughs> think Gehenna, like he's talking about, he's using it as sort of a, um, a, a picture, you know, mm-hmm. an, an image or a metaphor. He's like, talking about something that we can't really understand. So right. he's doing that in a way that benefits us most, mm-hmm. which is by giving us something we can get our minds around. And he, an he might also be talking about like, um, if God's people were like slaughtered in that spot mm-hmm. by their enemies, that's God's judgment. And he's basically saying Gehenna is going to happen to you mm-hmm. if you don't get in line with the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Like Rome's going to come in and slaughter you just like he did your, they did your ancestors in Gehenna mm-hmm. where, you know, so, um, that I think throws some pretty significant problems into like the hardline eternal conscious torment view. I'll go on record just saying I'm not that, that I don't hold that view. Okay. The, the, uh, that's what the people want. The, the traditional <laughs> ECT view. I don't know. Honestly, Romans one nineteen it says, Oh, uh, sorry. I can't conjure it up on my brain right now. Real <clears> quick. <throat> Let me Romans one nineteen through 20. Oh, and I misspelled Romans. <laughs> this is nothing slick about this. Okay, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since mm-hmm. the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seeing, seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Mm-hmm. I take that to mean that God has revealed something of himself to everyone. And mm-hmm. so this idea of, you know, remote tribes, they didn't hear about Jesus, so they're all going to hell. I just think that that flies in the face of that passage. Like mm-hmm. God gives some light to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think He judges us based on what we do with that light. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't. And in that in that vein, people who might be saying like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait," so are you saying evangelism doesn't matter? I would say, okay, are you saying that like the life with God is simply about going to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, or is there more to knowing Jesus than? just going to heaven. Mm-hmm. In fact, if your answer to that is, yeah, it's just about going to heaven, then that suggests that perhaps you don't actually want Jesus. And you might not know God. Right. Because like knowing God is actually experiencing God to the point that your life with God is so good, you don't have to be told to talk about him. Mm-hmm. You can't not do it. Yes. That's fruit. Right. So Jesus matters now is mm-hmm. what I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jesus is the hope of the world now and later. But I would also say, look, uh, I want people to have the greatest opportunity possible mm-hmm. to know Jesus now and forever, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I don't, I don't want people to have any question, and so I want them to hear the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But like, there's high, there is a high motivation to do all you can, give all you can, be all mm-hmm. you can in life with Jesus for the hope of the world. Um, that's much richer and more complex and beautiful than simply just trying to get people on one side of a line. Yes. So, yeah, um, it's an unfortunate shrinking of the good news when it just becomes that mm -hmm. in my view. Okay. So there we have it. Uh, The word hell in the new Testament is a problematic word. We import a whole lot of meaning to that word that simply isn't mm -hmm. there. When we think about like, you know, medieval images of, Mm-hmm. Um, an eternal hell, which honestly, those images are even contradictory because on the one hand, it's fire. On the mm-hmm. other hand, it's darkness. Well, how can mm-hmm. you have darkness and fire together? You know, like the oh, Bible talks hell about hell and a number of or punishment in a number of different ways. Yeah. And the so. idea, like there's just really quick, there's always this, um, a lot of times for the people who are more the hardline ECT, they'll say things like, well, Jesus said on the cross, you know, to the thief, like today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the moment you die, you lose all ability to know God and right. decide, you know, 
yeah. <laughs> those types of things. So anyway, this is the fun about being in the sandbox. We mm-hmm. have a clear boundary and then you can just kind of engage with things. Yep. So, uh, so the next view I'm going to talk about is called conditionalism or sometimes it's called annihilationalism, which to me sounds a little bit insane. End times. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, not insane. That sounds like MCU. Annihilationism. That's intense. Yeah. That's. Although it's probably a good, it's probably honestly a good word for it because essentially it's what it is. It's the view that (laughs) um, those who are not in Christ will simply cease to exist. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go to hell forever. Like you die and you're just done. Yeah. You don't exist anymore. You've been annihilated. You're not tormented. And so eternal life is conditional upon being in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that sounds, you're like, what? No way. Mm. That sounds crazy. Uh, careful. Because in fact, many, <laughs> if not, if not most, many people you've quoted on Instagram, <laughs> many, if not most of the, <laughs> yeah, it's true. People <laughs> that you read might actually agree with this. A lot, a lot more scholars are starting to, to, to believe this. It seems there's been a little bit of a resurgence of this lately, but I was going to say many, if not most of the passages in the new Testament that talk about the faith of the wick, the fate of the wicked, do so in terms of destruction, of being destroyed, of death, or of their end. And so conditionalism has in its favor just often a plain reading of the text. Like if you're not importing assumptions from like medieval theology about hell into mm-hmm. stuff that you're reading, it is the most straightforward reading of a lot of these passages. Mm-hmm. So for example, Second Peter 2.6 says, if he, contemned, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And so here Peter is saying, Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what will happen to the ungodly. Well, what happened mm-hmm. to Sodom and Gomorrah? Poof. They're gone. They, they don't exist anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't sit forever. The people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they didn't, they didn't sit forever just, in eternal burning. Just got done. They're, they're gone. Yeah. You know? Here you go. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, that word destroy there. Um, why? They, uh, and a conditionalist would say it doesn't make sense to say one can be destroyed eternally. Mm-hmm. That's a contradiction, right? You're just done. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. death. Well, what's death? Game over, right? Mm-hmm. You're gone. Just like the bird outside our office There's that a, fell out of its nest. That bird is no more. It's just gone. <laughs> that bird's life was conditional upon not falling out of its nest. Uh-huh. Anyway. That's right. Revelation we've been, 20. We've been, we've been um, all just walking over the body of a dead bird for like <laughs> a week thinking about our own mortality. Yeah. It's good to be in proximity to death sometimes. It is. It's like all of my you favorite, grounded. you know, like every time that I've stayed at a monastery, it's been like right the, you know, the graveyard is like right there where mm-hmm. you live and do your stuff. Yeah. I wish churches were still that way. I do too. I wish the churchyard was still the graveyard. Like Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky. You mm-hmm. just eat every meal looking out these like wall of windows, beautiful garden right outside the window which is also a graveyard. Life is a vapor. Yeah. Where all the other monks are buried, yeah. including Thomas Merton. Oh. Who was electrocuted. Who've... Oh, really? Accidentally. Yes. Hmm. Did you know that? I didn't know that's how he died. <laughs> that's how he died. Ooh. I digress, literally. Le- Let's Revelation, move on. <laughs> Revelation 20, verse 6, <laughs> talks about a second death. Okay. I didn't copy it here, but it talks about it like a second death. So, like, mm-hmm. then there, so there's death like your life on earth ends. And then there's another death where you like cease to exist. They mm-hmm. would say like in and Coco when people yes. stop remembering mm-hmm. you. Exactly. You just disappear. Conditionalism. <laughs> so I could give you a list of like 50 verses like this, where it's mm-hmm. just like destruction, destroyed, death, mm-hmm. end. Just like that's the language used for mm-hmm. the wicked. And you can see how even some people make the argument like God isn't going to just punish people forever. He mm-hmm. doesn't enjoy that or something like I mean, I'm right. not saying that we agree about this or that I am saying this, but you will hear people say things like, 
you know, I can get my mind around people who are not in Christ dying and just not existing anymore because mm-hmm. I can't imagine a God who would let people mm-hmm. just suffer yeah. forever. So this is seen by them as more merciful than eternal mm-hmm. conscious torment for obvious reasons. Like it's better not to exist than to exist in like mm-hmm. strenuous torment for eternity, you know, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they would all, and again, there's a range of views in conditionalism. And I know that some would, would essentially say, look, like God is going to give you every, every, every possible opportunity. Um, but as you continue to wander from God, even after earthly death, perhaps, mm-hmm. as you continue to wander from God, like the farther you get from God, the less human you become. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like Voldemort, kind of like Schmeagol. <laughs> okay, we went different directions, but both apply. They both apply. Um, yeah, like you become less and less human until perhaps there's nothing left. You know, yeah. like maybe it's just a wandering from God to where you slowly sacrifice every bit and piece of your humanity mm-hmm. to which the merciful thing for God to do is to just Hobbit's human. remove his hand. Uh, they are people. <laughs> they're, they're not, not humans. of the world of they're men. not humans but they're people is that what it is <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um did you know that voldemort so tom riddle <clears throat> was conceived under the power of a love potion and therefore is actually he was born incapable of love really and so I've always wrestled with the theological question that comes with that mm-hmm. is if you're born without the ability to love, can you truly be judged mm-hmm. for right. your actions? Yeah. And I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think, uh, yeah, I don't think you can either. I think, yeah. I think that you can be like removed from society for the safety of everyone else. Yeah. Right? But I mean, like, can mm-hmm. he, you know, like in, in this literary world, should right. all other things about God apply? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's say that for the next next yeah. ask, version Put of a pin in that. Ask a Pastor. <laughs> but I mean, uh, the, the real world world of application would be like psychopaths, right? Yeah, exactly. People who, like they just people don't whose have faculties empathy. don't have the ability, like their brain cannot process things. Yeah, you know, in that way, and I think that comes up. This is I'm not. We're not going to get in a whole side about this, but this is like something that's really good to talk about is um, people, God looks at every person individually. And while all sin does the work of separating us from God, it's not like God is keeping a, a, a marked list of like everything you do and then yeah. measuring you against other people. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have someone who technically looks pretty wicked to the world, but has a heart that God is like, this is, you know, Right. Bible's full <laughs> of good. those people. Yeah. And so anyway, hmm. here and there. But anyway, so I've given you a few verses that would the so conditionalist can go to heaven. <laughs> just being clear. Well, let's just leave that up to God, shall we? <laughs> um, but they can. They can go. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Are you like having a hard time imagining that? I think they can. Well, I think there's some psychopaths that still live moral lives, you know? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So not all psychopaths become serial killers. (laughs) You could be a psychopath and just like be a cobbler. Just work on shoes all day. Right. (laughs) Just put your energies somewhere good. Yeah. Um, anyway, got some examples. Well, okay. So like there's a new Testament scholar, Preston Sprinkle. Um, he, the, the, why they, the reason he's significant is because he wrote a book with Francis Chan on hell where they had like the eternal conscious torment view. And then after they published that book, he like changed his view to mm-hmm. annihilationism or to condi- conditionalism. Preston Sprinkle is uh, prolific in writing thoughts about things. And yeah, he's always yeah. writing something. He so he changes his mind. He's got a sometimes. podcast. Um, he, he's published a number of books on very varying topics mm-hmm. from pacifism to homosexuality uh, to grace. I think really he just did one on transgender issues. He did, yeah. So, uh, anyway, he's one. He keeps it current. Yep. Um, and then Greg Boyd, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, he's a pastor in the cities, theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he'd be a, a conditionalist, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. Um, and I, I just need to say too, like there's more and more of these, like this seems like it's becoming of these. more and more popular. I don't know, for whatever reason mm-hmm. in the, amongst theologians and Bible scholars, it seems like this has kind of had a renaissance, this mm-hmm. view. Um, 
and for good reason. I mean, I just read those passages and you're like, yeah, if you're just kind of straightforwardly reading, trying to set aside your preconceived notions of what the wages of sin is death might mean. Mm-hmm. And you just go, no, de- death means the end. So that's what it is. The wages of sin is that you cease to exist. Mm-hmm. You die, mm-hmm. you know, then it, you can understand how people would come to that. And there's a whole lot of verses that are like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there you go. There's conditionalism. So um, to review, we've talked about eternal conscious torment, mm-hmm. which is on a spectrum. Yes. And then we've talked about conditionalism, also on a spectrum, but yeah. basically the idea that you just die, you just which many exist. people believe that in many different, right. you know. And, and the Bible says that, um, you know, in Christ, all things hold together. Mm-hmm. And so if anything exists, it means it, it's existing only in Christ or in the power mm-hmm. of God. And essentially, if hell is this notion of being completely separated from God, then how can you exist? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's kind of some maybe logical. Yeah. And to make to it, it like dance a bit with the ECT view, um, the spectrum of them, you know, for people who would say, like, I can't imagine a God who would punish people forever because they didn't get a chance to get to know him while they were alive. Those kinds of things. Um, yeah. The idea that in eternal conscious torment, um, there's a spectrum of views, but this idea that uh, you you may be in hell, tormented forever, but you know we would lean toward, but you, you're choosing to be there mm-hmm. and could choose mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the the only, like, I think that the reason I keep coming back to this is because I think you and I both have experienced um, firsthand data of just how damaging that that really hard line notion of heaven and hell can be Mm -hmm. because people are being told to fall in love with this God who will burn you forever. If you don't. Who's going to eternally, (laughs) eternally punish most people ever Mm -hmm. live, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, that really hard line interpretation, um, can do so much damage. Right. Um, and really isn't that well substantiated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway. And so the C.S. Yeah. Lewis, Dallas Willard kind of view would, would probably advocate for a sort of journey towards God that can happen even after death, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that you're eternally a person mm-hmm. and can either be with God or without him. Yeah. And you can be on a journey. Right. One way or another. Okay. Okay, so third one. The last one is uh, Christian universalism. Christian universalism. Now, most people when they hear... And I've had conversations with the folks about this. And anytime I utter the word universalism, there's like, ugh, you because know. Because they're thinking about. They're thinking about Unitarian universalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to distinguish between Christian universalism and Unitarian universalism or other kinds of universalisms. Um, so that would say, for you know, that, that all roads are equally valid. Mm-hmm. Okay. That essentially all spiritual beliefs are equally valid. You know that phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that that can tie back into what I said before about people from Nebraska yeah. getting to Rome and hating it. There's just such a, yeah, <laughs> there's just a real golden thread running through this podcast. Yep. This podcast anyway, is, is a work of literary genius. Ooh, actually, we're very under, I'm very underprepared for this conversation, <laughs> but. <laughs> when you're underprepared, <laughs> when you're underprepared for a podcast discussion, does it manifest by just interjecting random stuff? Yep. <laughs> okay. That's, that's what we're seeing. Oh, we're going to have something else all morning. Nice. Um, but anyway, so Unitarian Universalism is what? Yeah. It's essentially, you know, all spiritual beliefs are equally valid. Um, there's a, there's maybe a truth and we're all trying to get to it. Yeah. Nobody's in a contest. Mm-hmm. There's some things we can agree on. Right. You know, just be good. Christian universalism would say, no, only by the death of Jesus is, mm-hmm. is like heaven a remote possibility for anybody. Mm-hmm. It's just that that poss- it, it's just that it makes it available to all. Mm-hmm. It's only through the death of Jesus. He is the way, the truth and the life. No it one all comes, still goes through yeah, Jesus. No one comes to the father except through Jesus. Mm-hmm. He just gives it to everybody. Yeah. There's one <laughs> so, way and then God gets his way right. by everyone getting that way yes. at some point. So that's an important thing to know about when you hear Christian universalism, it's not Unitarian or whatever else, you know, mm-hmm. other kinds of universe. Like it is, it is entirely focused on the redeeming work of Christ and the cross. Okay. It's mm-hmm. Christian. Um, the other thing to know is that in universal Christian universalism, judgment and wrath still are very much present. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
because one of the one of the reasons people bristle against this by the way, I'm going to spend some time defending Christian universalism, okay? Mm-hmm. Because it gets such a bad rap, and I think it's largely misunderstood. I think it mm-hmm. needs to get a fair hearing. I think it's the the thing you should do in defending it is to clearly um, explore the uh, similarities and differences, connections and disconnections between this and option one. You know okay. what I mean? My stomach's like growling. <laughs> I'm not having breakfast You hungry? Um, so, okay. Go ahead and do whatever right. you need to do. But I think it's good, like, skip over the middle zone, number two, okay. and just, like, as you're talking about it, help us understand the difference between Christian universalism mm-hmm. and these more, I guess you'd call them liberal views of ECT, the okay. the idea that, like, right. you're picking. Yeah, you so know. so Christian universalism would, would, would look at a verse such as, um, oh, well, let me see here. I've got a few listed. Um, let's see, Cons- Romans five eighteen and 19 says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So Adam. also, yeah, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And so there's like a, a symmetry there between what happened in Adam and mm-hmm. what happens in Christ. We'd all agree that all became like, all of us are impacted by the fall mm-hmm. of Adam, right? Uh, so All of us logically, this verse would suggest that yeah. the effects of Jesus's sacrifice will also affect all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. Which anybody in any of these views can agree is true. Yes. <laughs> so let me give you another passage. First Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. For as in Adam all die... So in Christ, all will be made alive. Mm-hmm. Romans eleven thirty two. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. First Timothy 2. It says, this is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. This is actually that's actually a really good probably you know, like theme verse for Christian universalism because mm-hmm. it connects it to Jesus. Mm-hmm. God's will is that all would be saved because there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. Like it doesn't happen outside of Christ. And then Second Corinthians five nineteen says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He's committed to us the message of re- of reconciliation. The word "world" there, He's mm-hmm. reconciling the world. It's cosmos, like it's everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everything that God is reconciling to Himself. And so, mm-hmm. that's just again just a little sampling of some <laughs> verses that. But there's many, many more that um, the Christian universalist could point to and say, "Look, it is God's will that all should be saved. Is God going to get mm-hmm. what He wants?" Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the ECT view that you and I were talking about, um, like the, the CS Lewis, the Willard, Willardian, Willardian, Willardian view, um, well, it would say that there are those that can at the end, like Mm -hmm. refuse Mm -hmm. that grace and that mercy. So what we're talking about is really like this distinction of, um, does God remove your ability to choose where you end up forever Mm -hmm. or does he keep that intact? Right. Yes. Um, now Phil, what's the answer? Well, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'll get to that in a minute. We're we're just looking at these. And so like, if you're like, well, sure, that sounds, Mm -hmm. I guess I can see why people. So the key difference, the thing that people really get kind of, this is why these things all stay in conversation with each other is because these things all seem to have, you can see where they come from. They all center in Jesus. So they're, you know, theologically safe for us to, they're Christian. So clearly, you know, these are Christian beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the difference though is, you know, just this notion of like whether or not at some point God just says like a parent picking a kid up, out of the pool and saying you were just done in this pool (laughs) right (laughs) or do you get to stay in the pool as long as you want Mm -hmm. until you're just like dehydrated and pruny right and like languishing see the the challenge that the the conflict that you see in that 
dichotomy there is on the one hand, do we lose free will? But on the other hand, does God actually get what God wants? Mm -hmm. Is God will ultimately thwarted? You know, if God desires that all would be saved, the universe, Mm -hmm. universalist would say, then God's going to get what he wants because he's otherwise, what does sovereignty mean? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, okay, well, does at some point God force himself on people that don't want God? Mm -hmm. Because like if God wants it, does that mean he like absolutely makes it happen? Mm -hmm. Or are there things where he wants it, but he's not going to force it? Right. Now, I, we're going to table that for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I need to go back to this idea of judgment and wrath within the Christian universalist view. Uh, because when people hear about it, like, well, a lot of times what they'll say is like, you, you telling me that Hitler's in heaven? Mm-hmm. Like, is that what you're saying? That's another big one. Yes. Yeah. Like for, yes. The, I so, hadn't even been thinking about that one. So the, the answer to that is that um, there is a severity to God's judgment within most Christian universalist views. Like, and it is essentially that you're going to lie on the bed of your sin there's like a purging, almost like a, pur- like a purgatory, purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a purging that's going to happen in he a person. Burns it out of you first. And it ain't going to be fun, you know? Yeah. Uh, Origen, the ancient church father, he says, every sinner kindles for himself the flame of his own fire. He's talking about this. Mm-hmm. Origen is widely regarded as Christian universalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like everybody who is a Christian universalist is saying it's going to be like the parable you of the die. workers in the vineyard and like the people who come at the end get just as much, mm-hmm. you know, as everybody else. Yeah. So. They're not saying you die. And when your eyes open, you're at the pearly gates. Mm-hmm. Cause and God, Peter's wants like, it. come on in. Yeah. You know, no, like there's, there's a purging again. The, the C.S. Lewis metaphor is probably apt, like an acclamation to heaven that has to mm-hmm. occur. Uh, they would just say, everyone's going to get through that period of, of purging eventually some it'll take longer and some it'll be harder you know mm-hmm. and so i imagine that according to this view i imagine that hitler had a, a really nasty time you know in whatever that looks going. like yes. <laughs> right but whether it's a year or a thousand or a million years like at some point god's will will be done and what, all shall be saved what's that uh that thing called how long it takes for hitler to come up in conversation the uh, Godwin's principle, <laughs> like, I think. No. Like, me, how long did we get into this dicey topic of um, most essential theology before we brought up Hitler? I think yeah. it took like 35 minutes. Okay, Godwin's <laughs> law, short for Godwin. Okay. Not Gopalat's law, that's another. Godwin's law <laughs> of Nazi analogies is an internet <laughs> adage asserting that as an online discussion grows longer, regardless of the topic or scope, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Adolf Hitler becomes more likely. <laughs> we have hit Godwin's ro- law. We have hit it. We have arrived. Okay. That's so funny. Like any internet discussion. If uh, it's carried out to its logical the, conclusion, the longer which it goes, is that it takes too long. The longer it goes, the higher the likelihood of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So anyway, uh, where was I? Yeah. So Jesus' death is still necessary for Christian universalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, judgment and wrath are still present. By the way, uh, when it comes to what what's judgment, what's wrath, I really do. I think Romans 1 gives us a good picture, like God giving them over to the desires mm-hmm. of their heart. I think I already said this. But, you did. Um, and, and, and so um, God's judgment is often just us kind of reaping the just rewards of mm-hmm. our... And Actions. a lot of and a lot of the time when people are saying, "God, why would you let this happen to me?" You know, mm-hmm. another way of looking at it would be God saying, "I'm going to let that happen to you." You know, yeah. like when we keep consistently choosing things mm-hmm. um, that go a certain direction, and then we get the results of that, yeah, and then suddenly are upset that it happened. Right. You know, that's a small little tiny way of looking at how that works in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just sort of blowing that up and yeah. saying, ultimately, and there you go. It seems to me that in the Bible, God's judgment almost always comes because of idolatry. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't know if almost always, but often comes because of idolatry. And um, like all of the other terrible things that people do before God smites them, smotes them, <laughs> smats yeah. them. It's ultimately idolatry. Yeah. And and I just want to put in a little word like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. I was going to say, like, I just look at the church today in America and I'm like, it's not going great, is it? No. It's not going great. You know what I mean? Are you about to um, fall well us right now with some sort of No, I'm going to do the opposite. Fall? Well, maybe a little okay. bit. I don't know. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> I feel like there's such, 
I don't know if there's an idolatry that we're held captive to today. It's like political idolatry, uh-huh. I think, in the church. And and uh, when God gives you over the desires of your heart, judgment happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of what we're seeing. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, some some Christian universalists like David Bentley Hart. I need to talk about David Bentley Hart. Have okay. you seen him lately? This beard. Looking I think pretty he's big. looking. What's that word for beards that are? fabulous i can't remember i can't remember that word is like (sighs) i gotta look it up we'll look it up and and then um, anyway he his beard is looking whatever that word is yeah yeah so david bentley hart's a eastern orthodox theologian he's a philosopher he's really kind of a polymath and i regard him to be one of the most brilliant people alive um and he's also a christian universalist he wrote a book called that all shall be that all shall be saved where he kind of lays out his case for christian universalism Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think that that book is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And and David Billy Hart, like, he he just um, lays waste to his ideological opponents. I mean, like he he took on. First the, of all, he doesn't mind if you think he's a jerk. Right. He's not. I don't even think he has gentle. the ability to. I think he actually just doesn't have the ability to feel like that. Not that he's not human, but that like he's just not. See a psychopath. That way. No, I think he just doesn't engage with important things that way. I don't think that he feels. I mean, in his world, this is academia. Like you, you got to put your feelings aside. We're trying to get to the truth. And look, if you're being dumb, I'm going to tell you basically is is his mindset. Uh, I mean, he did like with the new atheist movement, like he just lays waste. You know what I mean? I kind of think David Bentley Hart is not single-handedly, but largely responsible for the fact that the new atheist movement is basically over. (laughs) Like... He like his books have just been yeah that's pretty rock and beard. He has changed. Yeah, I think that, COVID got to him. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> it's impressive. You should check him out. Uh, anyway, he wrote a book, and if you want to learn more, that'd be the book to read. I think that that book, <laughs> Megan's struggling over here. Over my mic. That book needs to be reckoned with. And so, like I said, I'm going to spend a little time defending Christian universalism, not because I necessarily hold the view. But okay, I will say this. For a bit. I'm going to go get that David Bentley Hart book off my shelf. Okay. She's still trying to find the word for beards. Um, but not because I necessarily hold it, but because I hope it's true. You know, like I'm a, I'm a hopeful Christian universalist because why wouldn't you hope it's true? Like I would hope that we'd all hope that it's true. Um, but there's so much more to talk about with, with that than, um, than what we have so i found it okay what's the word first of all this involves a guy named rowan williams who also has a fabulous Mm -hmm. beard (laughs) yeah my son's not named after rowan williams but it was a happy you know i don't know kind of coincided rowan williams looks a little bit like gandalf yeah and dumbledore but with a slightly shorter beard but like definitely looks like a wizard his eyebrows make up for whatever he lacks in a beard wizened uh all right. <laughs> Paganotro- Paganotrophy. Like a, a luxurious beard the is basically... Paganotrophy is yeah. the state of having a good beard. Yeah. This is like a really fabulous, luxurious mm-hmm. beard. So that's David Bentley Hart right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. <clears throat> so anyway, there's our three views of um, yes. of hell. And so eternal conscious torment, conditionalism, and Christian universalism. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'd probably put myself in like the Lewis kind of FCM freely chosen misery view, uh, but with a strong <laughs> hope and optimism An towards Christian universalism. Hope. Yeah, yeah. Because why like, not? God, everything still, else about our faith tells us to be optimistic. Why not? Right. I, I'm like still. I don't know. I'm learning. You know what I mean? This is a big topic. I'm still learning. So hopefully that's okay for a pastor to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can also say this though. Uh, there is only one way to the Father, mm-hmm. and that is through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And whether only a few or all are going to arrive, it will be because of that, mm-hmm. because of the work that Christ did. I can tell you that. I can also say that judgment is real, mm-hmm. that God's wrath is real. These are where sin, like the sides of the the sandbox come into play. Like, exactly. If you're building a sandbox, you're saying it's all through Jesus, no matter what. Mm-hmm that judgment is real, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and that we don't dish it out, God does. Yep. You know, like yep. these are how you build your sandbox. And then you say, okay. I can tell you that there is a judge. It's not me, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
and that I have an element of engagement with what's true about God, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Like I'm a participant in all these things, you know, those types of things. You're so, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of things I just said are things that all the people under these groups would, would agree with. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. not get too hung up in the, I don't know. Anyway, this is what we're talking about. Like, what do you think about hell is a good question. It's a question a lot of people have. And then, you know, this is really about how to think about hell. Yeah. There's three different views that I've outlined. There's probably more out there and there's a whole lot more to be said about each one of them. But now perhaps we've just put a few things in your hopper to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that this conversation has um, encouraged you to be a more ardent worshiper and disciple. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yeah. Whatever view you take, um, take it only through careful study of the text, mm-hmm. right? Like I encourage you to do that. And if you come to a view other than what we've described or what we say we take, um, that's okay. I just hope that you've done it simply through prayerful study. Mm-hmm. Can I go back and add in some things? Sure. Okay. So again, Although I got to get going soon. Yeah. Got <laughs> it. Um, so, the I think the two parts of our question about hell are really just what is hell and how do we get there or not go there? You know, that kind of thing. And so um, I, I will basically, whenever I am extemporaneous, think of Dallas Willard. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, like Dallas Willard on like what hell is, he has this quote from, uh, he says a version of this many times, but heaven and hell are God's provisions for who we choose to be. It is a natural extension of the way we live. I tell people that what they get out of this life after this life is the person that they become now. So it's just this way of thinking about hell and heaven and all of these things that really takes it away from like the reward or punishment Mm -hmm. kind of thing and says it's about who you are because that's what Christianity is. Christianity is understanding who God is and who you are. Mm -hmm. And then it's much more about who you are, not what you are. Like you are um, a person who's either. Yeah. yeah, That quote maps well onto that freely chosen misery Mm -hmm. view. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, we've already covered Quite a bit. The the like another big thing that I've always taken away from Willard when he talks about hell is just this idea that it's probably going to be much much more populated, or heaven much more populated by people that we didn't see coming than we think. You know, so just basically that, like the general notion that whatever we're thinking it takes to get into heaven, Mm -hmm. there's probably going to be a whole lot more people there. Which is a thoroughly biblical principle. I mean, the last shall be Mm -hmm. first, and the first last, right? The people you expect aren't necessarily Mm -hmm. people that you're going to see yeah, and vice versa. And so within the bounds of like anything that we've talked about today, just really, it's probably true that a whole lot more people are going to be in heaven than we can anticipate. So, um, that's that optimistic view of Mm -hmm. what God is doing with all this. Um, and I was going to say, um, George McDonald, did you ever read any George McDonald? I haven't read any of his books. Okay. So I've read a lot of George MacDonald over the years because his, um, he writes a lot of uh, like fiction. He's mm. a Scottish writer in the 1800s. A lot of fiction, incredible, incredible fiction writer. Um, a lot of like straight up fiction and then some like fantastical stuff. Um, really like good, like fairy tales, things like that. And so um, C.S. Lewis called George MacDonald his master. Like, this is the person that he, like, if we will recommend Lewis to people who are, like, curious about the faith, Lewis mm-hmm. recommended McDonald. <laughs> so yes. this is just how this went. Mm-hmm. Um, and so George McDonald, I remember, you know, like, probably 20 years ago, I was reading a John Piper book, <laughs> and he um, suddenly gets into this, like, absolute conniption fit about the day that he learned that George McDonald was a universalist. <laughs> ruined George McDonald for him. Huh? It completely ruined George McDonald for him. Um, but really George McDonald was never like a hard line. Like I'm absolutely 
going to say that these things are true. He wasn't a theologian and he wasn't a pastor. It's just like some things that you see in his writings Mm -hmm. where he's going to lean toward more like a Christian universalism, but it was never like explicit. Like it's just, and so that's really something that influences C.S. Lewis and all the things that he writes. Um, And then, you know, particularly like the great divorce is essentially Mm -hmm. straight up taken from the influence that MacDonald Mm -hmm. had. On yeah. him when he thinks about George McDonald's God. in The Great Divorce. Yes, he is. <laughs> He's like one of the characters. Yes, George McDonald is the tour guide yeah. to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, and just a little extra aside, did you know that Cedric Diggory and Hufflepuff House are both nods to C.S. Lewis? I did know that, but only because you've told me that before. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Okay, so, um, do you want to do this, this, uh, this, uh, <laughs> Last little bit here. Sure. Okay. So all this discussion of Christian universalism, <laughs> there's one other name we should mention. Yeah. And that is the name Rob Bell. Farewell, yeah. Rob Bell. So Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. Rob Bell's being, you know, he was an extremely influential pastor in Michigan for, pe- for people our age, mm-hmm. like as we were coming up in the faith as teens and young adults, mm-hmm. Rob Bell was extremely significant, right? And then... Um, <laughs> He kind of slowly wandered off the map of evangelicalism, I guess you could say. Well, I mean, he took the sand in the sandbox and kind of or, or was it he shoved out? Under, I'm yeah. not sure. The, uh, because the, he wrote the a book. Turning point was Love Wins. Yeah, he wrote the book Love Wins, which critical. is he's articulating a case for Christian universalism. Which he was, I mad respect that mm-hmm. he went there because we want people to go there. We mm-hmm. want people to figure this out. His his biggest issue was that he didn't maybe spend as much time on it as he could mm-hmm. to beef it up a bit more. Right. Beyond. Yeah. Poetic. It's, it's been like, so long since I've read it, but I haven't read it probably since it was new. Like I remember Eugene Peterson saying, "I'm fresher thinking about what Eugene Peterson says about it in his biography." Mm, okay. <laughs> but the, like Eugene Peterson gave a, um, I think he gave a blurb okay. for it. And he was really clear that he thought it didn't have a lot of like strong underpinnings, but okay. that he was impressed that he was like getting onto something, that sure. he was going somewhere and bringing a conversation to the table that many people have been afraid to have. Maybe Rob Bell paved the road for David Bentley Hart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people, well, Probably I mean, not. N- nobody knows who David Bentley Hart is. Well, right. people know, but people yeah. don't know. <laughs> More and more are going to because... <laughs> but I mean, what Rob Bell did there was open up something. And then, you know, who knows what... Like, ugh, that was rough. So anyway, John season. Piper tweets infamously, farewell, Rob Bell. Essentially mm-hmm. saying, Rob Bell, you're no longer part of the faith because you're you published this book. You're not in the sandbox anymore. Yeah, like yeah, you're you've not in the left sandbox. orthodoxy, which we would so say... I would say, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Origin was a universalist, I think, and... Anyway. And I haven't read that book in a long time, but I feel like I remember he was pretty clear that it was through Jesus. Oh, like yeah. Like a more of a absolutely. Christian universalist It view. absolutely was. Yeah. Um, I don't remember specifically, 100%. but I really feel like it was. Yeah. And so anyway, that's so, what we talked about today. So we're going to end with our fam- favorite NUMA videos. These are the videos that Rob Bell Numa. gained <laughs> popularity and fame for. Okay, but like we cannot overstate what an influence that the NUMA videos had on the two of us. If you've never seen a NUMA video, just look them up on YouTube and Numa, watch them. N-O-O-M-A. They look, they look super 90s or early 2000s now, but when the, you were watching them then, they were amazing. It was like going to the moon. Yeah, it was amazing. The spiritual truths that he would unpack in oh. those things and the way they did it, it was actually cool. It wasn't just like torturous to watch like yeah. most like Sunday school curriculums they are. They were so good. It was awesome. And yeah. so... What's your favorite NUMA video? Just give me one. My absolute favorite NUMA video is Dust. Yeah. Which you is be covered in, in the, the dust, dust of, of your, your rabbi. rabbi. I want to be the best of the best of, of the, the best. best of the best. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the best of the best clearly, of the best of the best of the best. Clearly these videos have made an impact on young Pastor Megan <laughs> and Pastor Phil. <laughs> Um, so that that's a great one. It's yes. about what it means to be a disciple. Yeah, what it means like to follow to Jesus. To be covered in the dust of your rabbi. If you've never seen it, look it up right now. Go Oof. find dust. I remember where I was the first time I saw that dust video. Dust by Rob Bell. Changed forever. Yeah, watch it. Like I'm sure it's on ago. YouTube. Yeah, um, That might be mine too, but I'm going to pick a different one. I'm going to go with Whirlwind. Mm-hmm. That's like the most recent one. That, that one's I've the most at. like 
that's the killer. It's that's like, like the rock star it, break your guitars. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the whole video is one shot of Rob oh. Bell walking down a landing strip at an airport, like an abandoned airport. Like in the middle of quoting, or something. Just quoting like three chapters of the book of Job. Yeah. And like from a memory. Total BA. Yeah, like it's just from memory. <laughs> and he's just talking about like why do bad things happen? And he just quotes Job for a long time and for and somehow it works. Like somehow yes. by the end of it, you're just like Wow, you know, and like he says, none of his own words. He only quotes Job. Like after he like gets going, mm-hmm. it's just he wraps it up quickly at the end. I think. Yeah, and then but, but and then the biggest trick is that at the end you think he's clearly been reading a screen mm-hmm. the entire time, and at the end the camera goes up on a drone and you realize he's memorized it. He's just yeah. got it. He's yeah. just an incredible order. So. <laughs> Anyway, it's that's like Whirlwind. So Check it out. I might go watch it. Yeah, the the shells one is really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, boy, oh they're all really all these good. Shells. <laughs> Get the starfish. Anyway, you guys shells. should look them up. Numa. Check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks oh, everyone and, for listening. Yes, and if you've got an ask a pastor question, we may perhaps answer it here on this podcast. Emphasis on the perhaps. Yeah, I mean, you because guys have a lot of really good questions. What we also might do is just throw out a bunch of different ideas and <laughs> ask you to pick, kind of like we d- what we did today. <laughs> no, I think it's important to helping people see that there's, I don't know, we've got enough um, exclusion going on. You know, we got enough people like fighting theological battles, I think, in the world. Um, it might be okay to say, look, there's a difference between dogma and doctrine, and um, we can argue about doctrine, and I'm happy with that, but let's not be divided because of it you know also I mean? we completely answered their question because it was what do you think about hell yeah. here's some stuff we would say really, what do you think about hell i think a lot about it actually <laughs> uh so as you've seen all right thanks everybody for listening and hope you listen next time bye-bye